Hi, I'm Jen, and today I'm gardening out loud. Thanks so much for joining me in the garden today. It is a lovely morning. The long-promised mild May weather has finally arrived as of yesterday. We had a very cool, very rainy couple weeks, which was, for my own preferences, not my fave, but for the garden and for all the lovely things blooming, it was a wonderful kind of stasis. We got to enjoy the magnolia blooms and the cherry blooms and the tulips and so many other things so much longer because of that coolness and not too much wind and not too much rain to knock all the petals down. Surprisingly, they survived a lot of rain. And so ultimately I'm a little bit grateful for that weather, which also was giving everything such a nourishing, drenching. <laughs> and now this warm weather, it, it's got all of the hydration it needs to really just explode. We're gonna see a lot of explosive change over the next couple weeks, I think because of this weather pattern. That extra time also gave me time to visit some of my favorite magnolias in the neighborhood. I don't have a magnolia in my yard, but there are some wonderful ones nearby, uh, including my faves, which are two kind of twins or lovers or whatever. They're intertwined and from afar, they look like one tree. When you get close, you see it's two and they are probably 60 years old and taller than the house whose yard they sit in. And they just feel magical to me. And in fact, this the other morning when I was walking to go visit them, I stopped and I was admiring. And then I saw this parade of children on bicycles, like a, at least a couple hundred children with some parents too, don't worry, which was so charming to me. They were maybe like seven, eight years old. And so I was admiring this happening on the streets of Toronto, that there was this space and capacity for children to learn to ride on the streets and to do so joyfully. And I was admiring that and feeling a little emotional about it. And then a friend, spotted me who I haven't seen in a long time and called out to me and she was riding with her kid and I don't know if that was the magnolia magic happening there but it felt nice that all of these things I got to experience happened because I went to visit the magnolias anyway the nice thing about visiting the magnolias is it reminded me about how you can build relationships with plants even if they're not technically yours, um, a term I use in air quotes. Even if you don't have a relationship of tending with them, 
a relationship of appreciation can still happen. And I have relationships with several plants and or areas in the neighborhood that I never put my hands in their soil. There's a patch of crocuses I call Crocus Corner, which is the first reliable place I know one can find crocuses in the spring when I desperately need to see crocuses. And there are the twin magnolias and also a wonderful, enormous tree on the north side of Christie Pits, which has to be 200 years old. It's huge. And whenever I see that tree, it makes me feel small in the best way. It makes me feel like that tree has seen a lot and survived a lot, which it has. And something about that gives me a little strength. Other plants in the neighborhood I'm emotionally attached to are the Jane Jacobs Rose Garden, which is a wonderful wrought iron fence covered in 15 varied, fragrant, gorgeous, just spill over roses in all kinds of colors. And unfortunately, during the pandemic, those were hacked down to about a foot of stem by a person having a mental health crisis. And that was devastating because these are just so foundational to this park and to this neighborhood, which is was Jane Jacobs' neighborhood. And it just felt crushing to have this beautiful thing that doesn't belong to anyone, that is tended by a volunteer, be almost destroyed. But it wasn't destroyed. And plants are resilient, and we are resilient. And it's put on a couple, some new growth, and they're much smaller than they were, but they'll get back there. And those roses reminded me of that lesson. In any case, it's been, I would say, a tender couple weeks, or at least a week. I've been doing a lot of walking in the morning, just kind of absorbing what's happening, feeling kind of porous towards the world. And maybe that's a spring energy. Maybe that's an eclipse thing. But it's not the worst feeling, even if it leads to crying a little in a, on a public street. So what's happening in the garden? Well, I just noticed that. So yesterday I refreshed all the potting soil in my containers. And the confession is that I am not a very good container grower. I um, have no problem growing plants in the ground. The containers, they are always stunted. And I know there are people who can grow wonderful lush plants in containers. And I have traditionally not been one of them. So this year I've decided to try and get a bit better at that. 
and I have refreshed all my potting soil, which is to say I dumped it all in my wheelbarrow. And I have mixed in some blood meal and some bone meal and some worm compost and a little more coconut core. Choir, choir, choir is how you say that word. And I've put that back in the planters. And the reason for this is that container pots go through their nutrients a lot faster than plants in the ground. They don't have a lot to draw on. And also if you grew something in a container, like I grew potatoes in one container last year, you don't necessarily want to grow certain other crops in that same container or even potatoes again, because they've really drawn on those resources. That said, potting soil is very expensive. You may have noticed if you bought potting soil lately. It's really just a foundation. It doesn't give you everything that the plants need, especially if you're using fresh potting soil, maybe you have six weeks of nutrients in there, but it's not going to sustain the plants over the long term. And I think this is where I fall down. So this year, I'm going to add some more vermicompost in there regularly. I bought a seafood and fish emulsion fertilizer. And I'm going to try and put those in either weekly or bi-weekly, well, weekly or bi-weekly for the fish seaweed emulsion and see if that makes a difference. Also, just containers are more likely to be plundered by squirrels. Actually, I filled up one of my planter things yesterday with all fresh soil and I covered it in some cardboard just to keep some weed seeds from germinating while I wait to put a thing in there. And I've noticed that the squirrels most likely the squirrels or raccoons, who knows, have just tossed it and now there's soil everywhere. So, <laughs> so they were helping with the mixing, I guess. So uh, that's growing in an urban environment. The spring garden still looks wonderful, which is great that those refrigerator temperatures we had I still have some daffodils going, the smaller daffodils, the cheerfulness, the cosmopolitan. I still have tulips coming and, oh, that's exciting. So I'm growing some Solomon seal, which are these long arcing stems you'll see often in shady gardens with little white kind of bells hanging off the graceful arching stem. And this is my first year growing it, I got it at a plant swap last year. And I am really grateful for the height and the elegance it's going to add. And some Solomon seal varieties are native. And I'm not sure if this one is because it came from a plant swap, but hopefully it is. In any case, it will provide some pollen at the very least. The lily of the valley is just starting to put some buds on. I imagine in a week or two weeks, we're gonna see that start to bloom. That's wonderful. My muscariot is coming over. The violets are in full bloom now. So this is a great time to gather violets if you want to do something with them, like make a violet simple syrup is a thing that I've done give your cocktails a little something special. And as we talked about, oh, maybe only in the newsletter with the muscari, they react to acid in a way that turns them up from a kind of gray blue 
do a wonderful pinky purple, depending on how much acid you add. And so that's really fun. It's a fun thing you can do with kids um, by making like a little tea in that way. And I found, if you want to try this experiment, that the best thing to do is to start with a violet tea that you infuse for maybe 24 hours and then use that to make the simple syrup. And that gives me the strongest color. Also have a wonderful crop of catmint right now, which the cat is very enthusiastic about. And often the neighborhood cats are, but I haven't seen one lying down in it lately. So um, that's kind of nice. The rhubarb is coming up strong. I haven't harvested any yet because the stems are only about maybe eight inches long. So I'm gonna wait for them to get a bit longer. One fact about harvesting your rhubarb is that you should yank it out, not cut it. And that's actually better for the plant and less likely to introduce infection. Can you hear the robins? I hope so. The robin song has been so loud. And we've finally taken the plastic off our windows and so it's like robin surround sound. And that is a wonderful way to start the day. I've brought in some of my tulips. I've cut some of them to bring into the house. And this is my first year growing this particular tulip, which has deeper pink streaks down the middle and then a paler pink around the outside of the petals. And it has been such a delight to watch it unfold in the house. It gets a bit paler as the tulips open and now it has the perfect color of magnolia petals and I am obsessed <laughs> with them. And you know some people don't really want to cut things from the garden, they want to leave things growing in nature and I respect that entirely. That shows more restraint than I have. But I will say if you bring a plant in, it, I think you build a closer relationship with it. Um, I certainly do. Anyway, I can spend more time observing it over the day. In the case of the tulips, watch those stems elongate as they bend toward the light. And creates a kind of intimacy I think is really nice. So if you're someone who has their own plants that they can cut from without using, um, give it a try. Spend some time with your plant and get a little closer to it. So it's still a time to be patient with planting most things in the garden. And I was at my local garden center yesterday and it was bumping because everybody has that spring energy. But we're still mostly leaving things undisturbed. I have, I did put out some bok choy and I'm going to soon put out some kale and lettuce and um, Swiss chard 
and other kind of hardier things, things that are not tender, unlike me, that could handle it if we get a frost because we're still not necessarily in the clear for frost. I haven't looked at the long range forecast, but it's possible. It's a little early to plant things that love heat like tomatoes and peppers and things of that nature. So hold off. I still have leaf mulch over 90% of my main beds and that's fine. That's great. We're, remember, some of our queen bees could still be in their nests, in the ground, in, in the areas that they're around. All, all kinds of native bees can be in this leaf litter in this area, and I'm or moths or butterflies overwintering, all kinds of things. So I'm leaving it. I also haven't mowed the lawn, um, and lawn is a generous term for some crab grass and dandelions and some grass and some clover and some violets and some plantain and quite the mix. And we haven't mown that. And you may have heard about this no mow may thing. This is an import from the UK where they're encouraging people not to mow their lawns in May to preserve food sources for early pollinators. So here we're thinking about like letting your dandelions bloom, etc. And that's gotten some traction here. Although my understanding is that it is um, <laughs> like so many things like dandelions and uh, not a native species. It's an, it's an imported idea that along with so, so many of these plants that we have here and the native pollinators here aren't, didn't co-evolve with dandelions, for example. And so really it has a much more limited benefit here. That's not to say you can't do it, do it if you want. And I think that there's benefit in um, leaving some things undisturbed and showing that yards don't have to be perfect. Um, but it's one of those things that seems like an easy, it's an all too easy kind of fix. And so mow, don't mow, but really we'll talk more about native plants in the future. I'm learning a lot more about native plants and a lot more ongoing stewardship is required to help our native insects. And it's not, sadly, as simple as not mowing your lawn. But if you want to do that or get rid of your lawn altogether, that would be a much more meaningful, um, if you plant it with lots of native plants, that would be a much more meaningful thing to do. In any case, um, something to keep in mind when you're seeing Instagram posts about this. Well, I think that's enough from me today. I'm going to do a little less talking, a little more gardening today, which will be a treat. If you're putting some things in the soil, especially new seedlings, put them in later in the day so that they don't, they don't get fried in this sudden burst of sunshine that we have. And if you're growing your seedlings indoors, don't forget that they need a transition period. They need a hardening off, as it's called, 
where you slowly expose them to more time outside and more direct sunlight. And that takes about a week, sometimes longer. So don't just get so enthusiastic that you're carefully tended plants, you throw them all outside or throw them on the ground. They will <laughs> experience trauma and maybe die. So a little tenderness for your tender plants, a little tenderness for all of the beautiful things that are happening all around us. And I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.